Profiles and Strategy, a podcast series of talks by the U.S. Naval War College Strategy and Policy Department. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel John O'Gorman, United States Marine Corps. The views expressed herein do not necessarily represent the views of the Naval War College or the United States. All right. Hello and welcome, everyone, to Profiles and Strategy. This is uh, episode uh, 33. We are talking today about uh, Carl von Clausewitz, one of our primary military theorists for the course. And with us today, we have a, my, I'm Lieutenant Colonel John O'Gorman, United States Marine Corps, your host. Uh, with us today, my colleague from the Strategy and Policy Department here at the United States Naval War College, Dr. Vanya Bellinger. Vanya, welcome. Hi, everyone. Thank you for being here. All right, so, and Vanya has done extensive research both on Clausewitz and on his wife, Marie von Clausewitz. And um, we'll, we'll talk today about uh, the man, the myth, the legend, and, uh, <laughs> and go from there. Um, so, well, why don't we start just baselining everyone, not just students, but all our listeners, Vanya, on uh, who was Karl von Clausewitz? Karl von Clausewitz was a Prussian. Um, one of the things I always uh, like to say is, uh, you know, we know him as Karl von Clausewitz, but actually who was not a real von, a von, uh, that, that title was not, it was not real. Um, his father served in the Seven Years' War. He tasted privilege, um, uh, being officer. I should say back in those days, you could not be officer if you're not a gentleman, if you were not a, an aristocrat. Uh, however, at the end of the Seven Years' War, Prussia had such enormous losses. So people from the middle classes, men from the middle classes who had some education, they could become officers. Uh, this is what happened with Clausewitz's dad. Uh, he came back, he has tasted privilege, he has seen, um, you know, the world a little bit, so he kept the phone title and came with this elaborate story that they were uh, old aristocracy, but somehow lost the title and so on and so on. So this is the first thing, um, kind of interesting fact of Clausewitz, he was not a real aristocrat. Um, so that kind of put a little bit chip on his shoulder as a kid. Um, he had to fight a lot for the things um, uh, that he gained. You know, that title was always questioned. You know, is he is, is he interloper? Does he belong to be there, you know, um, to be officer? So, um, but at the same time, he was a very smart boy. Um, uh, we see him uh, at an early age excelling. And by by sheer luck, um, ending at the Prussian Military Academy in the first class taught by Gerhard von Schanhorst, the big um, uh, the big reformer, the military reformer, and that's this um, very lucky break because Schanhorst gonna play an enormous role in Clausewitz's career and life later. Um, Clausewitz, what we know from um, 
from uh, contemporary accounts. Um, he was a little bit shy. He was very reserved man. Um, he, with people he did not know well, he did not talk much. So this is why when he died, for some people, that was a surprise that he was even working on war theory. Um, Actually, the, the the people his good friends knew about it, but um, the wider the the wider um, Prussian army did not know about it because he was very reserved man. So the um, the book Vom Krieg on war. Um, mm. So some I, I've I've heard it said before that since. Clausewitz was, you know, as you said, the, the the Prussian military officer who grew up in the in the tradition of the vaunted Prussian army and you know the mm -hmm. army of Frederick the Great that was um, that won all these battles, and then um, he he's there and he watches Napoleon, this upstart Corsican, <laughs> destroy <laughs> the vaunted Prussian army in the space of an afternoon <laughs> at the at the twin battles of Vienna Auerstadt, and in the years you know, after that, he's writing Von Krieg as somewhat of a catharsis as to kind of figure out what happened. Is that, is that accurate? No. So this is one of the other myths uh, kind of surrounding Clausewitz. He actually wanted to write um, theory very, very early on. We actually have some of his early manuscripts are from 1804, when he's already working on theory. Now that's, uh, just to give you the perspective, he's just graduated from the military academy. <laughs> he's newly minted second lieutenant, but he's already um, trying to write the theory of war. And that's that's actually what we see in that era. Um, the the uh, character of war has changed. Napoleon, we have the um, first the French Revolution, then Napoleon, but we don't have theory. Uh, we don't have explanation what's happening. You know, what is the reason for this enormous success, uh, the enormous success story the French are having on the battlefield? Um, why are they beating all these old powers? So there is no new, uh, new theory. And basically, this is a, a huge proliferation of theories. People just um, write, almost everyone at that point uh, tries to write some theory of war to explain, you know, war, what has changed, what is happening, you know. Oh, that's a that's kind of the the zeitgeist if you wish and Clausewitz kind of falls into that he's also as a student he was very unhappy uh, much of the theory that was presented in the classroom uh, or the the readings he was very unhappy with them um, again he was very smart kid outsider so that's a little bit when you're outsider you're much more critical from um, you know from the sta status quo He's outsider, he's not noble, he's always questioned, does he belong here, does not. So he's much more willing to question um, the, the, um, the texts they are presented in, in the classroom. And we see this ambition, you know, he starts writing already 1804, a theory. Then he um, makes another attempt um, in the years of peace. He tries 1900, um, 1909, 1910. We don't know. We don't exactly when those manuscripts were written. So he has another attempt. And then when finally the Napoleonic Wars are over, he kind of sits down and uh, decides to capture that experience. But one of the things I think it's very important to understand is that this is one of the first questions he asks, asks himself because we have those manuscripts. And he's asking, are 
are always going to be fought the same way as in the Napoleonic era. Are we going to have these all-out wars? Or there will be also some limited form? And that's one question that he keep, is preoccupied for. He's preoccupied with this question. Um, and um, this is finally, you know, when we see it at the end of 1820s, when he comes with the idea of the two types of war, you know, uh, war with limited objective and war with unlimited objective. But that's something that has been there, you know, he's been, he's been one of the questions he struggled with. Mm -hmm. And for um, when the Prussians have their, um, their reform movement is, so, from what you're saying, it sounds like he's not necessarily a product of this. He's more kind of already trying to reform uh, it. So how much does that kind of play into how he affect his, uh, his writing? So when we say the Prussian, uh, uh, the Prussian reform, military reform movement, um, actually it starts already 1801 with the creation of the uh, military society by Scharnhorst in Prussia. So this is these ideas that they, they discuss these ideas, but there is no political will to implement any of these ideas. This this been the ideas that debated, debated, debated. Then Jan Auerstadt happens and Prussia is so, so at the end, they don't have money, they don't have um, uh, Napoleon shrinks their territory, cuts off huge pieces. So they have to do something big here. And this is when um, the reforms are implemented by, led by Schanhorst. That's the, the Clausewitz mentor. Clausewitz actually comes a little bit late to the scene because he's captured after Jan Auerstadt, two weeks later, he's captured, he's sent as a prisoner of war to France. So he comes back actually um, almost a year and something later. So he kind of misses a little bit the big movements. Um, and um, we see, for instance, for, from his um, private correspondence in those days, he's this very passionate uh, 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 first lieutenant, and then he becomes captain, uh, captain, and then major. But he really, really wants to fight the French, and so sometimes he doesn't understand or doesn't quite understand all the reforms that Shanghouse wants to implement. You know, Shanghouse. Uh, Clausewitz is like, let's go fight and, um, you know, let's let's do something. And if you see the young man, uh, how impatient, the, the impatience. And, uh, but he sees some some real um, problems with uh, the, the military reform uh, movement, you know, that he's he's critical of some of some of the issues that that he sees at hand. Um, again, he's very young that he's he's a young man. So sometimes this back and forth and working with the political side, he doesn't quite understand, you know, he's very critical of the political side, you know, and this is when we see also the early writings of Clausewitz, that he sees the politics always as the um, thing that it's hampering the war effort. And it's actually only late, late, late in 1820s, when he's a little bit, there is more space and time, you know, and he starts thinking more in an abstract form of what has happened. 
that he actually kind of comes back and understands that part of Shanho's legacy, that part that Shanho was doing, working with the politics. Um, and this is when he develops the idea that uh, war is politics um, with other means and um, that politics should be the force that leads it. You know, um, and um, that's that's one of these interesting tensions. You know what we see in in Clausewitz. He's both a product and he's a, a critic of the Prussian military movement. <laughs> um, so picking back up, would you say that uh, I remember that fast on war where he says, you know, vast difference between the commanding general and the rest of the generals. So has he learned from his time as a young soldier, as a, as a practitioner, and then is he able to kind of distill it better when he actually sits down to write as a, as a theorist pure? Um, this is one thing uh, we have to understand. Clausewitz is, has enormous, enormous experience on different levels. Because um, sometimes he's presenting this unhappy staff officer or whatever. He's actually... Um, someone who became um, uh, general mayor, which is actually equal to uh, one star. As a general, it's not two stars, it's not a uh, major general, it's Prussians had a little bit different system. Um, so he's been from, um, uh, from NCO, junior NCO, and then, because the, that was the pipeline, you will spend some time as a junior NCO, and then you will go in commission. So he had this enormous experience. And many of the things, sometimes when you read on war, you can see the, the experience coming through the pages. Especially, especially for me, since I have worked so much about his life uh, uh, with other texts and so on, it's always interesting to look in on war and find all these passages. And I'm, oh, this is what, this is that part. Mm. So, um, yeah, so, so we see a lot of his experience um, that uh, he, he gathers this enormous experience, but like, like I said, from the early on, he was also interested in theory, um, in understanding of war, not only the practice of war. So we see also both things going simultaneously. You know, he will gather that experience, but he will also put it in some intellectual framework. And the two things will feed, feed off each other, you know, throughout his life. And um, of course, the... Um, after Napoleonic Wars, this is when he actually has the time and think about, and in many ways also remove himself from that experience. Because there is also, everybody, I haven't been to war, but you have been, and most of our students have been. And um, you have your resentments, you have your moments, I wish I've done this, or anger against commanders and so on. So he needed... To, to write on war, he needed to remove himself, you know, to objectively, also objectively um, uh, understand his own experience. With that said, there here and there on the pages of on war, you can see also his resentments coming, like things that have happened. And yeah. he, you can see the resentments coming through if you're paying attention. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why I'm saying it, it, it sounds like at parts it's a catharsis for him to kind of get that stuff out of the page and yeah. uh, process it. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, you mentioned Scharnhorst and in terms of like that, that mentor-student relationship. Mm -hmm. um, so what was their relationship like? Were they, was it a, 
you know, was he was he a good pupil or was he a rebel or or what? Uh, how did they, uh, you know, how did they work? So when Clausewitz arrives at the military academy and he was in some he was in provincial uh, garrison and he probably was the smartest uh, second lieutenant over there, but he arrives in Berlin at the military academy. Um, and he discovers he's so unprepared. He discovered that huge shock for him because, you know, he always been the smartest kid in the room and suddenly he's not. Um, mm. And um, um, some some biographers tend to idealize the re relationship with Shanhost that, you know, Shanhost took Clausewitz under his wing and was like, taking him to dinner and so on. Actually, there is no record of that at all. I have gone through all the documents for my dissertation, nothing. Um, what, what we see is that um, Clausewitz, the outsider, um, Shahos was the first one who did not look at titles. You know, it was the first one who was like, do you have the title? Do you don't have the title? Do you belong here? Do you not? It was based on merit. And that's what Clausewitz actually says that Shahos was um, someone who looked at him um, uh, and saw him on merit and gave him the opportunity. Sometimes that's all, all somebody needs, you know, just no one to stand in their way and just encourage them, go for that, go and do that. And that's what Shanhos did. Now, Shanhos took enormous interest in his students. Um, so the, he actually tried, because he's a reformer, he wanted to put them on staff, you know, put them on uh, important positions so they can, that's before Jan Auerstadt, you know, he puts them in important positions so they can, as staff officers, um, get experience, but also maybe move the, the goalpost a little bit further. And of course, um, so they kind of lost connection for a couple of years, but it's after Jan Auerstadt and after Clausewitz comes back from, um, from France uh, and Schanhorst is leading the reform efforts. This is where Clausewitz um, makes uh, pushes, um, tries, Schanhorst is also on board. So they um, finally, Clausewitz uh, moves and becomes his uh, Schanhorst aide de camp. Again, the, the, the relationship is um, a little bit complicated, especially in those days. Shanghost is not a man, is not a commander who always says like, good job. <laughs> we see this in, uh, they, they, sometimes Clausewitz is very bitter writing to Marie. I, I work from um, dusk to dawn and nobody says thank you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and we see this bitterness sometimes, you know, with with Shanhorst coming through the pages. Um, but um, uh, the, the, I think those things are natural. That you know, um, another thing that Clausewitz is not sorry. Shanhorst, as much as he was incredible teacher and so on, he believe he doesn't believe in war theory. He believes war is so complicated. Uh, so they could not be uh, overarching theory. He teaches uh, war theory through examples, historical examples and so on, but he just <clears throat> says like, it's just too complicated. It's, they could not be war theory. And Clausewitz, we see he opposes his teacher in that he sees it as a real blind spot that Shanhorst, you know, rejects all war theory. Another thing, Shanhost, that always surprises people when I talk about it, but Shanhost doesn't believe in military genius. He doesn't believe that, that Napoleon is military genius. He doesn't 
don't believe that thing exists. Uh, what he writes about Napoleon, he's very um, clear that it's the political changes in France. It's also the changes in the Prussian army, uh, sorry, in the French army, you know, the general staff, um, the division, and then the core system, the uh, conscription, you know, mass conscription and so on. Napoleon is just uh, on the receiving end of that. And Clausewitz is not so sure about it. Clausewitz really thinks there is something. There is something there, you know, that you are born with talent and then you put in situations and you develop and you able to do these things. So when when we look at the chapter on um, military genius, um, it's um, so it's not because there was also in that era, there was other people who were writing geniuses innate, you know, just born, you know, it's the touch of touch of God, you know, we don't know how it happens. Some Somehow, you know, you just touched and you have it and that's it. You don't need to develop it. It's just there. And uh, so you have that's on one end and you then you have on the other end, Sean Hoss, who's like, doesn't exist. It's always, everything is systems. Everything is, you know, um, the other conditions, the organizational conditions and so on. And then like somebody who's talented or mildly talented emerges from those things. Clausewitz is in the middle of that thing. And that's when you see in that chapter on military genius, um, it's their innate qualities, but they are things that you can develop. So if you actually read that chapter closely, it's almost like a checklist, you know, mm -hmm. like things that you have to do, uh, things that you, you can have or you can develop. And it's almost like this mental exercise when you're reading it, you're like, do I have this? Mm. Mm. I develop it. Mm. Mm. Maybe I don't have this, but I can compensate this way. So this is where we see that he transforms um, Sean Host ideas and in a way also opposes them. Mm. But of course, um, uh, we know Sean Host, Clausewitz is Sean Host's favorite student. That doesn't mean that they always were on the same page. Uh, there was tension between them but it's what it means best student it doesn't mean that you have to just follow your teacher of, um, uh, teachings you know that you excel and you honor your teacher by developing them further and when your teacher was wrong that you uh, correct that mm. okay um so some people have have said i think it was uh, samuel huntington that the Prussian, this, this Prussian reform movement that you've been talking about, it, you know, laid the grounds for modern military professionalism. And, um, you know, we've all heard the stories about the German general staff and, and uh, you know, made staff officers um, look cool, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, this, this same type of staff uh, process or school also produced the Schlieffen plan in, in 1914, which we are, you know, written in 1905, but, but by 1914, executing the Schlieffen plan, which uh, receives a lot of, of, you know, uh, negative critiques, shall we say, in, um, in, in not just our course, but in, in military history circles in general. So how, how did this, how did this happen? How did this come about? If, if, if the Prussian reform movement was was good and it worked, did it just atrophy at some point or what, what, what went wrong there? So this is actually what I've been working on and it's like a um, 
complex question. This is always students ask this thing if the Jew, because I talk about it and so on. They're like, well, if they were so great, how come they lost two wars? You know, yeah. and you're like, ah, oh. and, and, and this is, um, it's a complex question, but it's, there is a lesson here. And um, what we see, what was the uh, Russian reform movement? It's, um, we should say that it started as a political movement. It starts because of this um, disaster in Yen Auerstadt, but the reforms, they start first as political reforms. This is the end of the serfdom. Um, uh, noble lands can be bought by anybody. Anybody can have any job they want. You know, Prussia is becoming this modern state. And based on that, the the reform movements are based on that, you know, that you can have um, mass mobilization, um, people have to see the state as theirs to defend it. So you cannot have mass mobilization without those reforms. You cannot have um, without the political reforms first. Um, the, the other thing very important for the uh, reform movement is that um, commission commissioning based on merit. This is where commissioning based on merit in the Prussian uh, uh, reform movement is when Samuel Huntington says that's the day when um, that's the day when uh, military professionalism was born. Mm. Um, uh, in in soldier and state, he makes mm. this bold statement. Um, you can do it only when, um, uh, again, when the middle classes are empowered, when the middle classes see themselves as they can be officers. The other thing, uh, educational, um, that, you know, officers have to study war. You know, mm -hmm. the education becomes very important, but that's also connected with the general educational reform going to Prussia. You know, we need educated citizens. Um, so, and the general staff is the same way um, it's not anymore some general some general who's like born noble and thinks he knows the business but never studied it. Um, we're taking away power from that general and giving it to the experts, you know, people who, who are educated officers, who are educated, promoted based on merit and have spent time thinking about war, thinking of making planning and so on, this professionalization of, of war. So the, the first thing we have to understand this very uh, close connection with the uh, with the political uh, with the political arm with the political yeah. realm. So it's uh, and we know Shanghai uh, works very very close with uh, with the Prussian government. Um, uh, he bends sometimes backwards to accommodate them um, and and also seeks to frame all the reforms that he's implementing into larger political and social reforms to implement them. So that's one of the things that they are so successful. Um, what we see after 1815 um, is that um, the Prussian state, there is um, reactionary backlash against many of the reforms. There was a promise. Um, actually, the Prussian king made twice a promise that he will give a constitution to the state, mm -hmm. that um, the reforms will be anchored, and also the path forward. Will, uh, those The constitution will show the path, for, path forward. I should say that was not the... Democratic constitution, everybody imagines here one man, one vote. That was not that. It was very uh, limited franchise. But 
it was like we're moving there and also the the reforms that was the most important those reforms what we have achieved they're going to be anchored and there will be strong institutions what we see with the years after that is that many of these institutions are this um uh, many of the institutions are kind of um they, they're still there but they lose lose much of their um uh, of their meaning um and um there is never the constitution comes only 1848 so it comes much 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 later so um the general stuff that was part of the war ministry you know this centralized system part of the government that thing is lost the general stuff becomes more and more separates itself um from the larger government and um and in the military uh, enjoys this position of privilege you know they are they're responsible only to the king you know the uh mm-hmm. there is uh when the uh when the constitution finally comes the lower chamber has um some has some um um control over the budget that's the only like civilian control over the military but it's not very strong and then there is much more it's eroding the years later so this is where we see this um these connections between the military and the political they dissolve Mm. more and more and more uh, this is was where Sean Horst was like, we have to be always connected. And that, that's also what Clausewitz is writing. That's that experience, always continuation of politics with other means. There's going to be tension here, but they have to work together, you know. And the other thing that this process is due to the Prussian military, that's the other unfortunate, and to the general staff, that they, in order to preserve this privileged position, this isolation, from the larger society, from the larger government, you know, that they have their cake and eat it, they create this notion that they are apolitical, uh, um, they are apolitical uh, organization. They don't need to know about the politics because they are above these things. And that um, moves them also to do almost only military planning. Mm. And and this is... um, kind of also lowers the the intellectual stakes you know the intellectual understanding uh the 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 study of war of this complex it becomes more and more only military study like it's it's the strategy is only military strategy it's not thought uh in connection with the larger society it's Mm -hmm. uh, in one of the one of the studies actually says like it reverses back to the old Prussian, you know, before 18, almost reverses back to those rudimentary uh, structures, to those, those reflexes, you know. So this is the um this is the moral of the story. Um dealing with the politicians, dealing with the um citizens of the country, dealing, it's not. It's not always pretty, okay? For for military men, it's no not always pretty. It's not always nice. It's not always seamless, but it's necessary. It's necessary because it makes you think about the other conditions when you're putting strategy, makes you responsible to, to other needs, to the needs of the larger society, the needs of the nation, and also prevents you from thinking only in military terms, which 
if you look at this is the Schlieffen plan, why it's so horrible that Schlieffen plan, it's only about um, thinking the military side. There is no, the, no political conditions are taken into account. This is so, um, so far away from everything Sean Horst taught and Klauswitz mm. put on paper that I just sometimes blows my mind how that happened. But this is um, this is this desire to be independent. You know, I don't want to deal with the messiness. I want to simplify the things. Well, we need the complexity. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. That, no, that that's interesting, and that definitely rhymes with a lot of what we talk about in the course with uh, the the you know if your political aims aren't good then of course your strategy is kind of going to suffer yeah. uh, so great um so for it behind you there you have a picture of uh, Marie von Clausewitz and yeah. I know you've done some research on her as well I've heard the joke made before that since Carl dies before he can uh, publish his book that uh, Marie was like the final editor of uh, <laughs> and, uh, and may have written written some uh, can you can you talk about that a little bit uh, yeah, I wrote a book. <laughs> yeah. um, what we see, um, Marie, um, so this is um, when Clausewitz goes to Prussia in early 1800s. This is, he meets two people who are very important for him. One is Schoenholst, and a couple of years later, he meets Marie. And he falls in love, uh, head over heels. It's also an intellectual relationship. He really likes that she's this brainy woman that like um, is, um, she's part of the Prussian court. She's one of these political women that are very involved, mm -hmm. helps his career a lot. He, um, and he also uses her as, uh, we see some of the letters, you know, he will write that letter. You can sh share it with everyone. Just take that part away. And she will like either read the letter, you know, make a lot of. It, it, so is, is she, I'm sorry, but is she, she's true nobility then? Like, yeah, born? she, oh yeah, yeah. She's like, okay. uh, uh, and that, that's the other funny part. Like, uh, I think uh, Peter Porer wrote it. Like, he tells you how much self-confidence Clausewitz had as a second lieutenant from the provinces with no money, with nothing. But he starts in courts because she's in, she's not only countess, she's imperial countess. Oh, wow. It's even more, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like... Uh, Go Clausewitz, you know, like self <laughs> this confidence. I can make it. Um, so she's like involved. Like we we see a lot of his um, manuscripts and so on. That they like the clean copy is made by Marie. Um, uh, so she's involved. He likes to share the things. She's like his sounding board. He likes to write in her company. Um, he he's also she's the only one he trusts that she will publish um, on war the way it was, uh, the, he, she will publish on war as he wanted it. Mm. Because he was, she was so uh, involved in, in the process. It, it's not a small thing because we know her brother, Fritz von Brühl, um, the second edition, Fritz von Brühl was also a student of Clausewitz. He studied under him at the military academy. They were a very close relationship. But Fritz von Brühl um, kind of fought, and that's this where the general staff becomes more and more independent and separates in the 1850s. It's uh, mm -hmm. becoming more and more separated from uh, the rest of the Prussian society. This is where uh, Marie's brother thought Clausewitz got the whole thing wrong. You know, the relationship 
between uh, political and military. So he kind of fixes parts of that text. Um, um, so this is um, any other man would have been tempted to do that, to change the text. Maria was the only one, and this is why Clausewitz left the manuscript to her, that she's gonna be the only one who would uh, remain faithful to the text. Now, there were still decisions. She had to make decisions, you know, because there were, um, uh, I, I always show to students, you know, um, Clausewitz will um, separate the page, the page in two, um, in two in the middle. So he mm -hmm. will uh, write on one side and then you will use the other side, will leave it blank. But then when he will be going back, he will put notes there or put like whole passages that have to be inserted. That's before copy and paste. That's how they used right. to do it. So um, that, that required a lot of work. Sometimes decisions had to be made. Um, how do you insert the things and so on? Um, but uh, when I said Clausewitz, we, we see <laughs> things written in Maurice's handwriting in the text. We don't know, did he um, dictate it to her or she was editing and so on. And the one that I always show and find it always funny is uh, we have a version of chapter book one, chapter one, the one that everybody reads. Mm -hmm. And the funny part, because that's the, um, that copy is very close to the published version. So... Uh, we know that that, that was uh, done fairly uh, um, fairly close to Clausewitz's death, but um, those subheadings, you know, where you chapter one, book one, chapter one, you see the subheadings. They are mm -hmm. all most of them are actually written in Maurice's handwriting. Wow. There are several by Clausewitz. They are basically a summary of what's mm -hmm. coming there, and. Um, uh, the, the funniest part is that that note voice continuation of politics with Adam means is actually written in Maurice's handwriting. Wow. Um, <laughs> now that idea comes many, many times in the in on war. That comes many mm. times. It always is like a long winded, it's blah, blah, not quite, you know, uh, the wording is not quite the same, things like this, but becomes one time so memorable, so short there, and it's in Maurice's handwriting. So you have to ask yourself, did she um, just was making the summary of the thing and was like, well, it's going to sound better, Carl, that's going to sound better, you know. Mm -hmm. um, oh, he was dictating to her. But then we see that some of the, those, um, no, of those subheadings, he went back and fixed some of them, you know, changed words and so on. So... I would argue, you know, to make my case, I would argue that she probably was like coming, um, going through the text and coming with like um, catchier mm. or more memorable things, you know, like through the text. And then Carl went and, you know, changed the, left the ones he liked, changed the other ones. And that's how we ended up with uh, voice continuation with um continuation of politics with other means uh so memorable in short <laughs> wow most like murray um being the one who formulated it well wouldn't it be great idea but she probably formulated it i i hope uh, i hope people listen to this because uh it would be great for all those talking heads on the on the shows and i say well whoa i was courting a clausewitz war is a continuation of politics <laughs> actually that was marie von <laughs> well it was his idea okay that was i'm not arguing yeah. it was like it was his idea, but um, 
uh, she definitely was much, he was like much more long-winded. She was like the one who much, much will come to the point much quicker. Made it more pithy, a pithy yeah. phrase that everyone can remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, that's great. Well, so um, I guess if if you, having having gone through his letters and his notes, uh, and we we do a deep dive on a lot of different concepts in uh, in in Clausewitz for the course. But what is your what's your go to Clausewitz and concepts when you when you when you think about you know what like a really key takeaway that you think everyone should? Uh... Oh, um, I mean, I really like the po political part, but uh, mm -hmm. everybody does that. Um, I think um, the 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 part that's been uh, um overlooked is the theoretical part that that whole struggle how do you create a theory of war and like some of the things now for us some of we read some of the pages of online like uh the of course but it's very very hard to um actually to synthesize and come with the um theory that has a uh connecting connective tissue you know, which Clausewitz did, um, creating, creating theory, creating theory that it's um, catches almost everything. You know, gives you and also gives you like a shortcut, quick understanding. Um, that's that's really really hard. Clausewitz struggle. So many other people tried writing war theory. Um, Jumini Jumini tried writing. He's the great rival. Mm -hmm. But there were all also other ones, um, and also not to. I know students complain Clausewitz so hard to read, blah blah. Um, but there is so much insight there, you know. Um, mm. Try reading something that there is no insight. That it's hard and no insight. So much of the other theory is that, because <laughs> like, I have worked with these things. Um, like I said, um, creating theory, creating a body of knowledge, because by creating, by setting the theory, setting the um, guidelines, the understanding, that also projects for the future. You know, that's becomes so much easier to put ideas into intellectual framework or events into intellectual framework. And you're like, oh, I know, like, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. But somebody has to catch that history. Uh, mm. You can uh, that you can uh, recognize right away. Oh, so this is what's happening. You know, like um, getting that information, chewing it, and then spitting it into a theory. That's 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 really complicated. And one of the things Clausewitz did was actually um, not only his own experience catch his own experience uh, in on war, but also. Um, studying other other um, uh, war campaigns. He has enormous body of war campaigns that he studied. Um, I I haven't even read them all. Like, I, I don't know who has read them all, you know, mm -hmm. because he does so much war study, like, and then he picks parts of that, picks and puts it as a theory, but he studies the whole campaign, goes through every, little detail to prove, to understand what, to prove or dis disprove the theory he came uh, with. So yeah, this is enormous work. Unfortunately, on war is unfinished. He, it, I don't know, it's it's hard, war theory. Like, right. 
several lifetimes maybe um but creating this base that we all working from you know this is this is Clausewitz's great achievement when you mm. think how many, how many of his terms we're using friction center of gravity the political side of war um we use so so much of these things he created uh, that that base for us Awesome. So what advice would you give for students or people in general trying to read Clausewitz and, and how to, how to uh, you know, digest it and understand it? Oh, yeah. I, the, I mean, people always ask me, is there a better translation? Yeah. Um, <laughs> not yet. <Yeah. laughs> um, maybe you'll write that, that translation, right? <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. That's too much work. Um, yeah. So um, one of the things is um, try to familiarize yourself with the, with the period. This is like um, with the biography, with the period, with the ideas. Um, I know the language is different than, than we know. Um, uh, so that will be one of the things to get easy on it. Um, I generally seldom like secondary works on Clausewitz. Like, I would prefer people to read uh, the the main text, and while you're reading it, also thinking through the text, and also maybe leaving notes in the margins. That's that's what I do a lot with this text. Um, you know, capturing my own reflections on that, like this active, um, that that active working with the text, which is actually basically one of the things that Clausewitz wanted us to do. We have actually that's what. He, you know, when he's saying you cannot remember war theory, when you go on a battlefield, all of these things, you're going to forget them. Like, it's the stress, all the things. Also, no one wants you to quote chapter three, uh, book seven, chapter three. You know, no one like your commander is like, tell me what to do. Or you the commander, what should I do? No one, um, you cannot do. That's just not possible. But by working with the text, and also debating the text and debating historical cases in the class. This is where you're creating this muscle memory, you know, in your brain. This is what Clausewitz is saying, you know, you need the analysis. That analysis, by doing that analysis in the classroom, this is where you create, um, you create your muscles, you exercise your brain, you exercise your brain, you create, you create spaces in your brain that you can run um, in case of need, you can just uh, go there and pick up the idea, you know, it's just gonna emerge, but you create um, you create the, the muscle memory. How do we make, how do I make analysis? How do I make decision? You know, what are the things that I have to pay attention to? So one of the things you read that text, sometimes the text is not so easy. You just move on, you pick up another idea, it's the it's the process. The most important thing is the process that you think through that text, that you work with that text, that you analyze that text. This is what are gonna create that muscle memory, brain memory. Mm. Awesome, awesome. All right. Well, Vanya, this has been uh, uh, interesting and educational as always. Um, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I, I know everybody has learned more about. Uh, the background on on Carl von Clausewitz after this uh, after this talk. So um, thank you very much, and we will see everybody next time 
on profiles and strategy. My pleasure.